Welcome to today's Marlborough Beef and Lamb New Zealand Farming for Profit Field Day. We were going to be focusing on the stocking rate debate in our panel discussion. The stocking rate debate. When I first started in consultancy, the debate which polarised farmers was that of lambing percentage. 100% lambing and one good lamb to wean and finish versus 120 to 130% lambing. I can still recall the ridicule and banter of many farmers from opposing points of view. I'm sure some of you here today were involved in those, shall we say, discussions. This, of course, has now led to the issue of per head or per stock unit performance versus per hectare performance or stocking rate. No one farm is the same, and this is best reflected in the table you see here, where I've detailed the results of the Beef and Lamb New Zealand Economic Service Farm Survey. Which is the more productive farm? To help us work through this, we have a panel debate involving Ian Knowles and Joe Grigg will be leading the discussion, basing their arguments on per hectare performance. And on the other side of the table, we have Fraser Avery and Anne Riddler focusing and promoting per head performance. I now open the debate with Ian. Operated, measured, analysed, and they change hands on a per hectare basis, right? You wouldn't believe the stock unit figures that a real estate agent gives you, but you would hope to believe the per hectare, right? So you wouldn't buy a farm without knowing how big it was, and you'd hope to know what sort of stock numbers it run. But you're not basing all your information on that because it's too narrow focused. Land capability is the biggest driver of productivity. We all know that. You've got your best paddock and you've got your worst paddock. It's the land ability to deliver as the biggest driver of production. Then you put a good farmer on top of that and you grow more feed, you utilise more feed because they optimise the resource they have under them. The top farmers recognise that the performance difference between the top half of your flock and the bottom half of your flock is next to bugger all, maybe 5 to 10%. A lot of the speakers we've heard today, and there's a couple of them are to my hard left, will tell you that an extra kilogram of feed here or there will lift your performance through the sky. They're not comparing apples with apples. What they will be suggesting, and they'll rant on about this, just forget it, it's rubbish. <laughs> they will say that an extra kilogram of feed into your lightest you will make her as good as your best you. Fine, we're not talking about the lightest you and the best you, we're talking about a whole flock average, a stocking rate equivalent, not comparing your worst with your best. So ignore, <laughs> if they bring that up, just tell them to sit down. However, if you say run five stock units per hectare to, as your base, adding one more stock unit to that operational per hectare would add 20% more productivity, right? So far more bigger gain adding more stock to a sharp operation than there is trying to milk that last drop out of per head production. If you think you're already maxed out in terms of your, say, your ewe flock, add in a different stock class, something that's not directly competing, right? This is how sharp operators run their business. Fraser's a good example, he just happened to land on the wrong side of the debate today. <laughs> so, I'm guessing our, the, the problem about going first is I have to preempt what they're going to say. I'm, I'm likely Fraser's going to try to play God, and he'll tell you that the poor unknown sheep wouldn't be able to perform unless he was there to oversee, manage and run his spreadsheets for them three times a day. However, the speaker's 
prior to that today have all told us how flexible stock are. You can underfeed them, you can overfeed them. But on average, they will still produce 1.2 lambs. They'll still produce a 30k weaned lamb, right? They're very, very flexible, regardless if I'm up in Marlborough for the day and not at home feeding out like I should be, I would still hope when I go home, the end production at the end of the season will be very similar to what it always has been. They may start ranting on about having variable costs such as shearing costs, so therefore dropping your stocking rate lowers your farm working expenditure. whoop de doo right? Let's save 10 cents on the dollar when we could be spending a dollar to make three. Let's look big people, look look in the distance, let's think about how good we could be, not trying to retract back into a shell saying, oh, let's try to save 10 cents. So there's a huge opportunity to spend a dollar to make more money, not try to say, let's drop our stocking rate, drop our cost because we're scared of paying a couple of bills, and then actually miss out on all that potential production. All it takes is a wee bit of tweaking and plugging a couple of feed gaps and that opportunity can be yours. But I won't bamble booze you with any more words. What I just want to use one example, really. Um, picture a 6,000 stock unit farm, 800 hectares, summer dry, very sort of similar country to this. Uh, 800, uh, 500 metres above sea level. Um, focused on stock unit production, right? And the, in the top 25%. You put a new <coughs> manager on that property that focuses on per hectare production. Takes over the existing sheep flocks and no change. Genetics, everything carry on. Farm area stays the same. The only thing they do is add in 300 carryover dairy cows. Right? So we've totally adjusted our stocking rate, but we haven't changed our base ewe flock. Over the coming five years, but particularly in the first three, year, three years, the per head ewe production actually goes up as a result of what you'd say is being overstocked, but it's actually complementing with different stock classes. So my point is that you bring in the dairy cow, this example, you bring the dairy cow, carryover cows, they actually cover the lease payment for the year, so now all of the profit from that ewe flock, whether it maintains production or not, is now purely profit. In fact, I said the per hectare production goes up, but in fact, we actually lamb, this person, lambed a month earlier, hit the early season premiums, so the profitability per ewe actually went up as well. So there is opportunities, many of them, every farm, farmer in this room will have opportunities per hectare to increase your production, increase your profitability, and it's not on the back of increasing per head production. Open your eyes, look long, look hard, and there's lots of opportunities there. In this example, 30 seconds. what was added in is 1% of the farm in Fodderbeek, 10 cents a k dry matter, 10% of available soil nitrogen was added on strategically spring, autumn, whenever you need it, to bump up, the, uh, to get over any speed bumps in feed. Feed quality take care of itself, the stock do take care of themselves, right? And the financials will do the talking. Two take home points, we're not stock farmers, Fraser, we are sunlight and water farms, and per head production, per hectare productions for agribusiness people and per stock unit is the dreams. Everyone's woken up again down the back of that clapping. <laughs> <laughs>
It was great, there was some laughter and uh, a bit of interest in his opening address. Uh, he started getting quite personal actually, so <laughs> I had to change the way I was going to take it. So, and what I was going to talk about, but uh, well done on the, on the first part. But, but what I noticed is the rest of us, Joe, as he got into it and uh, started using the big words and the numbers, we all started losing interest and, and falling asleep. I shouldn't say all, sorry, and there was uh, your wife was interested and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and a couple of other people in the room. But uh, I, um, unlike uh, Ian and Joe, Ann and I um, talked this morning and Ann said, uh, we've got to have slides and uh, you know stats and all this sort of stuff. And I said, oh, I don't do that, Ann. I just sort of wing it. And she said, well, I don't do winging it. Sorry, Fraser. But I was most impressed how she winged it when uh, her presentation couldn't go up. So uh, I'll leave all the serious stuff up to her and I'll, I'll try and keep you interested in, uh, in what uh, I think this stuff's all about. And put it, I guess, in uh, a couple of examples which uh, hopefully you'll be able to to understand because not all of us uh, are academics like Ian and Joe so uh, for those of you who are a bit more like me and like seeing things practically I'll do my best so you actually understand what it is we're, we're talking about. Uh, what are you talking about? Yeah, today. Um, so it's, it's this you know per, uh, per head performance over, uh, over stocking rate uh, running a whole lot and I thought well we've got a barbecue this afternoon and we thank farmlands and Bravo Bank for, for kindly uh, sponsoring that event. But uh, for those of you that uh, support Anne and I today, uh, focused on per head performance, when it comes time to wrap up the day, you might stick around in here and, uh, and do a bit more networking, you know, ask your last question and, uh, and that sort of thing. And then you'll quietly make your way to the area where the food will be uh, prepared and ready to go. And you might choose to have a, a sausage or a patty, whatever it is that farmers have, have put on for us. And you'll probably have that with some bread and, and possibly even butter on the bread and some sauce. Uh, you'll select a drink, which Rabobank kindly offered. And you'll chat uh, casually amongst others. The food will have been sitting on a table, you know, nicely for you to, to get. And you'll enjoy that time, uh, continue to, to learn and grow. And you might even go back and, and help yourself to some more. Um, now those of you that, uh, that want to be on this other team, you probably won't stay in and ask that last question because you'll realise there's a, a little area of food down the back of the car park, it's probably going to be on the ground, um, and you'll know that you need a race to get there because uh, there's a number of you for that amount of food and they're going to have to you know, make the most of it. You might choose to stay and ask that question and uh, and then know that tomorrow you're going to have to run extra hard to beat the others to the feed trough because that's what, uh, in my view, this is all about. Um, looking after ourselves, making the most of us all, um, or whether we're in that mass pool of, uh, of Ian and Joe's where it's uh, every man for himself. And I guess uh, the second example of that will... I mean, look at me. Uh, at Bonnevere, you know, it's a, it's a real focus on per head performance, and you could probably argue that maybe uh, we should have focused a little bit more on stocking rates. Uh, there's an opportunity to maybe run uh, a little bit extra there, but uh, you know, winter's not over yet, and, and maybe the drought isn't either. And then if I look at uh, at my team that we're opposing here, and uh, we go to Tim Pallo first up. Uh, no, what, uh, we talked a bit about conditions for today. And, uh, 
and, and, and the ooze, you know, and, and optimum and that. And, uh, and I'm not going to put a number on it, but uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, you know, if, if we're looking at weaning time this year, we're probably 28 kilo lambs, I think would be fair to say. But then, you know, as we, we know, being farmers, it's not always about, uh, you know, lack of feed condition score, it could be other things, it could be uh, drench resistance, I don't know, or it could even be over mating, you know, <laughs> and, uh, I've heard the, uh, the maternal ram here at Tempello is fairly randy, so you know, that, that, that may, uh, may sum it up, gee, he's got that door locked, I'm in trouble, <laughs> and, and Ian pointed out uh, that I, you know, I do have some sayings, and, and I do, uh, and one of them that uh, I've always talked about a lot is giving animals an opportunity to make the most of their genetic potential through good nutrition and management. Well, clearly that hasn't happened in North Canterbury this season, has it? I'm not sure, uh, sure what actually is going on down there, but uh, definitely that focus on stocking rate, uh, the two-tooth ram still being on, you know, should have been gone as a ram lamb, but he's still running around 12 months later. Personal preference aside, you know, this is, is one of those things that, as Greg said, you know, it is, uh, it's always been a great debate. I think individually we all fight with it in our systems on a daily basis, you know, how hard we push one way or the other. Um, and, and it's a, you know, a great topic for discussion. Um, I guess in Marlborough here, though, there's uh, pretty good evidence that, again, for our side, um, I think if you look at the Marlborough Farmer of the Year competition, the first three winners, if you were to ask them all what they focused on, I'm sure they would say per head performance. Ian talked about the costs and stuff. I mean, those things, uh, Ian will probably go into the details of some of that other stuff. But my last uh, point, I think um, those of us that focus on per head performance um, tend to be more flexible and adjust quicker in the challenging seasons. And so Greg made the comment about Anne, you know, coming from a, a more favourable, um, higher rainfall area and that sort of thing. I think, uh, you know, the, the stock rate thing goes better in some of those places. But if I look around, those that tend to be driven by per head performance, they make those decisions earlier uh, because they're aware of the consequences on those individual animals. And so they repeat results year after year. And that's what we're all about. Thank you. Thank you, Fraser, um, for those kind words. <laughs> In terms of uh, per hectare performance, I actually managed about 26 case last Saturday on two wheat bicks. So, you know, on a per hectare basis, I'd be pretty good with quite a few of me. Um, obviously, to, obviously, today I'm here to tell you about my revelation, which we have discovered here at Tempello. We've seen the light. It is definitely about per hectare performance. You might say the old days we had quite a few ewes, so we dropped few numbers and up went our performance. But we actually added a lot of cattle stock units here at Tempello, um, pretty much to 50-50 ratio, and our per hectare kilograms of beef and lamb all increased. So um, for me, there's just no other way really of seeing the light. When it comes to analysing things, we do it across a per hectare, effective hectare, 
So you can see where your wool is, how many kilos of lamb and beef changing over an effective hectare area. It's just, it's a great way to do it. Um, you can analyse your costs across the per hectare. I don't know about for the sheep dog, whether you split it down the middle of the stock units, cattle, sheep, you know, it doesn't work, but on a per hectare basis, you can, it's easy to do. I think Ian would agree with me that um, we actually back you guys as farmers to have the skills to run a higher stocking rate and plug the feed gaps with the skills and the knowledge that you've learnt and that you have. Um, and uh, for example, uh, yeah, classic example is the ability of farmers to take weight off cows over winter and then add it back on again. So you can run more cattle or divert that feed into running more ewes. Like we've got this very technical right here that my assistant might hold for me. So this is the classic beef and lamb condition scoring, one to 10 out the side. This is the ideal for your beef cow. At weaning, she's a seven. Drop it down to five midwinter. Calving conditions for five. Start to lift back up at six at mating. Wean at seven. If you go to per head performance and you just feed that cow flat out, trying to get extra calf weaning weight, even though that's not really going to work, you're wasting all this feed here. Now that feed could actually, they worked out over 100 cows, if you keep them at condition score 7, could maintain 800 ewes and lift them from 2.5 body condition score to a 3. And as you know, as Anne kindly pointed out this morning, that is the secret <laughs> to making more money. So there it all is. And, and who does it in this room? Probably a lot of you already. You know, technically we can do that. Thank you, Ian. That's, that's great. Um, so if you go for high stocking rates, use those skills to feed them and keep them at a 3.4 for your ewe. For example, the Xenos do that really well. Um, buying and grain to flush ewes on. The ewe numbers are set to match the predicted spring surplus. They, they condition score ewes and feed barley at peak times. They feed up to 400 grams a day to lighter ewes. Um, average ewes 200 grams, heavy ewes 100 grams. Um, good quote from Mark, there is no point in overfeeding well-conditioned ewes over tupping with our genetics. So there you go. Um, often drought feeding results in overfeeding ewes at tupping, which has the unwanted effect of too many triplets. So we all know about that. So the Xenos aim for a 200% scanning. Just they want to maintain body weight through tupping through winter until spring pastures coincide with peak lactation. So why try and run big heavy ewes at 4.5 just to get loads of lambs? Basically, I think Abacus Bio put out the figure that a 67 kg U is the ultimate in terms of mating time, weight, and subsequent ovulation rates. It's better to have more U's conditioned for three and four, run some more, um, and slightly lower scanning. If you get 210% scanning, you've probably got 20, more than 20% triplets. Recipe for high lamb wastage, waste of feed. It's not good for animal welfare and staff morale either. Um, you're going to be having dead triplet lambs, so why do it? Um, when you analyse across a hectic basis, that manipulation of scanning rates 
um, becomes a lot more obvious and just why you do it. Um, in terms of hectares and high stocking rate and using a per hectare way to look at your farm can take in all those things like nutrient losses. It's the way we're moving. A hectare doesn't just have to be about the stocking rate, it's all those other values that you can have on your farm, biodiversity, insect life, new plants that might in the future have some amazing chemical that we don't know about yet that we could use, um, water gathering capacity, water filtering, um, sequestration of carbon, um, hectare of undeveloped land, it's almost $40 a unit of carbon at the moment, you get $120 from that. Um, it's a way of measuring your soil nutrients on hand. It's a way of taking into account the people that live on the land and the stories that they have, which is all part of marketing and value to the products in the future. And it's also to do with landscape values. So basically, it's if you chase stock um, per head returns, you know, you're overlooking the big picture for your property. So basically, per head is the way to go. Um, I've, I've got a thousand acre jacket that I let my, you know, sitting in the cupboard. Never heard of a thousand acre stock, isn't a thousand stock unit jacket. I don't know if anyone's got one of those. It's all about the hectares and the acres as far as I'm concerned. Um, so good luck, Anne, for summing up for your team. Alrighty, so I come to this discussion in a position of complete ignorance. Um, I thought I'd do some research this morning, so I did a quick Google search. It wasn't very illuminating. So I rang up Fraser to discuss our game plan, and he said, just make some shit up, and I'll win. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll give that a whirl. Um, but I have a feeling I might be the weakest link. Um, so I come to this discussion mainly with my vet hat on. So I was fortunate or unfortunate enough to spend a couple of years in a mainly dairy vet practice in the early 2000s, where it'd be fair to say, a lot of dairy farmers were still focusing on the per hectare performance. So stack the cows on and uh, try and extract as much milk out of them as you could. So October's were the best time of the year. October was spent with your hand up the arse end of the cows, trying to feel their ovaries, which were usually the size of a jelly bean. Um, the reason you were there is because they weren't cycling. The reason they weren't cycling is because their ovaries were the size of a jelly bean. The reason their ovaries were the size of a jelly bean is because they were too skinny. And the farmer would say, oh, yeah, I think we might have a selenium deficiency. And he'd be like, yeah, I think we might have a grass deficiency, actually. So from an animal health point of view, which is, I guess, where I'm coming from with the vets, per stock unit, just, uh, sorry, per hectare, you know, often comes with underfeeding, unfortunately, and that just comes with a whole bunch of potential animal health problems. So, you know, I don't think we're ever going to be as extreme as the dairy cows. Those girls are being pushed pretty hard. But if we think about our ewes that are having triplets, you know, physiologically, we're pushing those girls pretty much to the limit. So, um, you know, and, you know, inevitably in any flock, doesn't matter how well fed we, they are, there'll be a range of weights and body condition scores within that group. But if they're being pushed hard with their feeding, there's going to be a lot more at the skinny end of the, of the range. Um, and so, you know, we've already been talking about this this morning, we know with those low condition score ewes, they're more likely to die, they're more likely to be prematurely culled. It's just, just all bad stuff, really. Um, we also know that internal parasites, more common in animals that are underfed, so just, just more of a wormy problem. 
Yeah, a lot of people would say that um, underfeeding animals you end up with lowered immunity and more disease. Um, there's not a lot of good science on that, to be honest, but I think probably in Australia with Yoni's disease and the Merinos, that's quite a good example where, you know, they were reporting death rates from Yoni's of up to 5, 10 or 15%, so really high death rates from Yoni's. Can we have some New Zealand data, please? <laughs> <laughs> yep, still relevant. Um, once they started actually feeding those animals better, though, they actually found their death rates decreased massively from Yoni's disease. Okay, so that's my vet hat on. Um, the other hat I want to wear, actually, is that I'm a, I'm a country girl. I grew up in Pukyu, as uh, you know, the land of the high stocking rates. But actually, I now live in Palmy, and I most of my interactions were with vet students. So we have 125 vet students a year. It's quite a high stocking rate in the university, it would be fair to say. Um, but most of those students come from an urban background. So 90% of them plus have got very little rural background. So I'm coming to this discussion with my consumer perception hat on because most of my day-to-day -day interactions are with non-rural or urban background people. And what do I think they would say? I think they would say that Fraser and I have totally got this argument all over because they would. I think what their perception would be is that per stock unit, we're focusing on the individual. You know, it's all about the individual. And we're ensuring that animal is cared for in a way that maximises its We'd call it production, they'd call it well-being. So focusing on feeding the animal well so it can live its best life. Because who doesn't want to live their best life? Um, on the other hand, the evil per hectare people are focusing on profit and getting the most out of the area of land that they can with little or no thought for the well-being of those individuals. So from a consumer perception point of view, I think Fraser and I are all over this one. Um, and I'd just like to sum up by saying per, um, per hectare, it just makes it harder. You know, Ian talked a lot about sharp operators and things like that, but, you know, pushing things to the limit, it just makes it harder. And it's nice when life is easy. I end. <laughs> What I'd like to do now is open it up to the audience. You've heard a couple of um, sides of the argument here. I'd like you to bring your questions to the table, so to speak. Ask these guys or challenge them on their thinking or comments um, to generate more discussion. And then I'm going to give uh, one individual from each of these um, uh, groups to, to sum up at the end. So, can we have some questions or challenges? to the, the way in which people have interpreted that. Richard. Two-part question for Fraser. Um, how many streams of income does Bonnevary have? I.e. sheep. <laughs> <laughs> second part would be when analysing your farm business you would want to include all all income streams wouldn't you therefore would a per hectare profit or a per stock unit profit be more appropriate <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> As Ian pointed out, there's elements of my business that are better suited to the other team, Richard. Um, maybe the next question would be uh, time to move on to. But we, we benchmark very here. Yeah. We do, you know, um, against ourselves. Try benchmarking against someone else and might improve a bit faster. <laughs> That's my problem. Isn't it? If you're a bit out of stock, you're not going to be utilising the feed that's growing. Sorry, can, so if you're a bit out of stock, you're not going to be utilising the feed that you're growing? Yeah, who's that big, who's this question? No, it's, 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 it's an acknowledgement of the um, two learned people on my left that have heard head tier performance. So if you're able to graze your pastures, whether on the hill or on the back, and utilise more of it, both the quality and the total amount that you grow will be higher, therefore you'll be able to sustain that um, and measure it better on a per hectare production than you will on a per stock unit production. Okay. Ian, Joe, do you want to respond to that? Is there anyone who disagrees with us? I'd love to meet that person other than Fraser and Ann. <laughs> That's not what I asked. Do you want to respond to the comment? He's absolutely right. The biggest driver of production and profitability is the amount of feed you grow, the amount you utilise. The more you utilise, the more nutrient you put back and the more feed you grow. It's just an ongoing cycle. It's why we have different stock classes. It's why we have subdivision and, and stock water. It's a big wheel that we're turning with lots of levers and the overall driver is to grow as much good quality feed and utilise it and put it back in the system. 80% of what goes in the front comes out the back, which is what you grow the next part of your business on. You're talking about sunlight and moisture, there. Yeah? Ah, <laughs> exactly, yeah, that's a base resource, yeah, per hectare. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, you got a question? Yes, yeah, so I just want to pick up on Kate's, um, sorry, Anne's point. Um, so the system you've described per hectare, I'm just trying to push him out of time here, um, is akin to factory farming. So we've got growing consumer interest in our farming systems and how we produce food and whether that aligns with their personal values. Under your factory farming scenario, how do you ensure that uh, we are producing what the consumer wants where all, all parts of the animal's uh, life are well cared for? I can answer that one and I would say that our hectare is a welcoming habitat where all breeds and genders are totally welcome, including gender neutral weathers. <laughs> completely welcome and we embrace all of that and that all just ties in together. Okay, other questions? What system are the animals the happiest? Consumer angle that uh, Anne kindly threw into it. So, so, so. If, I, 
This is not a debate about welfare or underfeeding, right? That's just a bit of scaremongering from the other team. We're not proposing that at all, right? That the only way that I know to measure uh, animals' happiness, other than doing some very intricate uh, hormone or blood testing work inside a lab, is that their overall production will be high if they are happy, right? If they're getting fed all the basics of life. So the example that I gave, the stock were just as, it's performing the same if not better than what they were before when it was a per head basis. So if you look at happiness as a, as a result of, uh, production as a result of happiness, you'd argue that happy, well-fed, productive sheep. In terms of people's perception, then that's more about storytelling, isn't it? Because the perception can only be uh, what they understand about what you do. It's their perception. They haven't been there, they haven't lived it. So it's more about our storytelling. And I think we can equally both provide a good story as to what way we run our properties. It might be a good story. <laughs> yeah, taking across a per hectare um, view, you don't just have your stock. You've got your forest, you've got your indigenous landscape, you've got the people that are working it. It's all encompassing rather than just looking at a animal performance. So it's a much better way to tell your story. And um, like for us at Tempello, we were able to work out on a per hectare basis what our, what price our wool needed to be at for a fine merino wool to maintain that system. We were able to go to a person that buys our wool and tell them that was our bottom line. So, Joe, are you saying that because uh, the, these, this group might be talking about focusing on a per head performance that they can't talk about those other things that are going on in their farm? Yeah, they just get completely obsessed about that animal and the consumer doesn't really want to know just about an animal unless it's Shrek or something like that. It's got to be the land and the people they're more interested in. The, the only the argument they've come up with is that uh, it's all around dry matter down their throat. The only thing they've talked about is more feed down the throat to increase pro productivity and release their genetic potential. But that's not always the case. And I'll give you an example. Is, uh, so we have, say, 300 carryover dairy cows at home that average about 40 caves lighter than the, dairy, the empty cows that that dairy farmer keeps at home on flat, irrigated country. Our empty rate is half of what his is at home. So they actually perform better at home being fitter, out on the hill, having less dry matter shoved down their throat, but they actually perform better. So don't always believe that more dry matter down the throat is going to increase overall productivity. So would it be fair to say that when we look at a stocking, you know, we talk about stocking or actually heat there, um, or per heat performance, should we not say that, you know, there must be a threshold that if the five freedoms for animals, if that's compromised at a per heat performance, it's too high because you know sometimes the question is how high can we go and how low can we go so where do we bring that into that uh, that's right greg i think joe keeps arguing that they've got all those boxes ticked ticked where i would say more on our side we've got more room for that stuff because we're not pushing having all those animals there you know that's my understanding they've twisted the debate slightly from the stocking rate thing to focus on this hectic stuff and the throwing in all the flowery stuff but ultimately the flowery stuff is more apparent in our system um, because we are focusing on the animals, the opportunity, you know, as I said, to express their genetic potential. So there's the shade and shelter in every paddock. You know, they uh, they have space. Um, 
take a joke, wander around and graze as, as they feel, feel safe. You know, they're, not, they're not rushing to that feed because they're packed in big numbers, focused on uh, on those yeah, throughput rather than, uh, than seeing each animal do the best. And I also want to throw into this, oh, and, and I, want, I want to clarify some things here, in terms of the, the, the stocking rate per hectare versus the, uh, the per head performance. What I think we need to clarify is that, that one argument is that if we have a lower stocking rate and we allow the animal to um, be well fed throughout the course of the year, its performance is, is much higher than if it's at a higher stocking rate, okay? where the animal may have a more controlled, or is likely to have a more controlled intake. And I guess what we can't confuse the two arguments with is a situation where um, a management system is in place which takes a, a high performance per head system and drives that forward by increasing the stocking rate by picking up surface feed and not changing the overall productivity of the animal. Okay, I think that the real argument is about a, let's take a, um, a high performance system that might be doing 155% lambing, um, producing lambs at uh, 40 to yeah, 40 kilos or 38, 40 kilos at weaning time, finishing 80% of the stock on the farm. Versus a high stocking rate uh, where the animals, because of the, the intensity in which they're being grazed, is actually got a lower per head performance, say 135% lambing, weaning at 30 kilos and finishing 40% of the lambs. I think that's the, where the real argument between stocking rate and per hectare performance comes in. And it can be argued, and many people try to argue, or do argue, that that lower performance but a higher stocking rate means that they're producing more kilograms of meat fibre per hectare. And I think that's the distinction that we need to make in this, this discussion. And I think our um, debaters have sort of kind of tried to confuse it by saying that at a higher stocking rate, you're still going to get that really high per head performance. So I'm just going to throw that back to these guys. Well up, and, and also to you as the audience to come in with your thoughts on this. Bear in mind there's a bag of Blackhawk dog feet on the line for this. <laughs> My question is a question through you, Greg, to um, Jeff, who's probably had more experience of scanning than anyone in the room. Well, just ask Jim. Just ask Jim, the question. Jim, um, in all your experience, is it the farmers that are scanning around that 170% with maximum twins, minimal triplets, that are actually getting uh, more lambs out the gate at the end of the day, or those folks that are doing 100, and, or sorry, 200% scanning, are still lambing 150%? It's never come back to help do the dagging and the wine and they don't, but they probably don't know. Quick answer please, Jeff, because it, it all it all comes back to feed management and what what feed goes down the throat to allow those ewes or that parcel stock to uh, to reveal their potential. Does that make sense? Yep, and I'm going to throw it back to, to Pete now because Pete um, has uh, a couple of years' experience in the field of um, productivity, I guess. 
there's a hell of a lot of dribble, dribble, and and a lot of confusion. And I'll clarify it, I will simplify it. Because here's my graph. And one of the first questions I get asked is, am I overstocked or understocked? And I usually say I wouldn't have a clue. And, but let's see what's happening. So we start measuring production. And the production is the kilograms of meat weaned from the lambs and the kilograms of calf weaned from the, uh, from the cows. And you can chuck in wool as well if you like. But the total farm production doesn't matter. We're not looking at it. We don't know what the right number is. Your hectares are pretty well set, so you're not going to change that. But every year, we measure the total farm production. And if we're making the right decisions, this is what's happening. And if we're making the right decisions, we might be starting with new numbers here. And we might, we might be doing this because we're increasing new numbers, but we're also becoming more, far more efficient in the production, the new production. So individual, individual new production may increase with new numbers because of your better management. But this may go on, and when you start seeing this, it's tapering off, we know we've reached a maximum new number. Rubbish, bollocks. And the same thing, you've had your stuff. No, no, no. And the same is, thing can this happen This is the problem, is it's such a tunnel vision view on just the stock unit. Add in there agronomy, cropping, fertiliser, yeah. subdivision, that's, water, and then see what the property is actually capable yeah, of. Hey, Pete got asked to come That is allowing you to increase your new numbers. So your production's going up. So you're not at your maximum new numbers here. But you're getting to a stage where your ewe and cow numbers is peaked and you're not making much progress because you can see with production. Hey, we've gone far enough. And you'll get other properties where this is happening. Your production is going up, but your ewe and cow number, your stock units are coming down because you've been over, over, overstocked. It's pretty simple. It takes you five seasons to figure out you've been overstocked and you've been it, asleep it at the wheel for way too long. It takes and time. It takes time. Conversely, if it takes you four back, years you to lift your stock and rate. years and they haven't a bloody clue. No one now will see what's happening. It's the only way right. to see what your stocking rate should be. Thanks, Pete. Well summed up for our time. <laughs> <laughs> as, as you, I can see arguments for yeah, both teams at this, actually. Yeah. Yeah. There was. I can see yeah. just yeah. getting that worked out. <laughs> And, and I think this, this brings it all back together in terms of, you know, this is not just a, a one-size-fits-all thing. It, there's a multitude of things going on here. And one of the things that, um, I'm, actually this is something that um, Anne's father is actually very, very uh, good at. And that's talking about um, the marginal return curve. I don't know if you can see that very well there, but the marginal return curve, right? And, and it does come back to some of the things that Ian talked about in terms of understanding your land resources. And that, I think, will be one of the huge benefits that you get out of doing a farm environmental plan. Because you'll be able to qualify and quantify what your land is capable of doing. So, the issue that I see is where is, does your farm sit relative to your um, resources on this marginal return curve? 
You look okay. at Fraser though, and he just keeps developing more land and putting more sheep on, and there you go. And it's it's a really good model of increasing your stocking rate. Yeah. So so look. Is Fraser there? Is, is, is Joe there? Is Ian there in their farming systems? And they've still got room to move. And I think, Pete, you were talking about that graph. You know, identify where you are relative to that 90% um, of yield. So that's what all the fertiliser companies works on, work on in terms of their fertiliser inputs. When you get to that 90% yield, your marginal gains become more and more costly to achieve. Okay? And so to get to that, it's a combination of stocking rate and per head performance. So I can argue that people that are at a low stocking rate, that are getting really good per head performance, but are only utilising 50% of the food they grow on the farm. It's a complete waste. Waste of feed. Absolutely. But, but conversely, but conversely, hang on, you can have a farm operating with, because um, that curve actually goes right down here too, the productivity or the profitability of those two systems is exactly the same. That system could be at a low stocking rate, this could be at a high stocking rate. And the issue with the high stocking rate is that they've actually pushed things far too far, the animals are not performing anywhere near their potential, and there's a lot of cost, or there's a lot of cost going into the system to achieve that output. So both of these systems, whether it's low stocking rate and high per head performance, or high stocking rate and moderate per head performance, have the potential to increase. And that, to me, is the real crux of the discussion. Whereabouts do you sit on that curve? Are you down here, knowing that you've got positive gains to make, or are you here and you actually may need to make some changes to remove your costs and improve your efficiency to get to that point? When you talk about stocking rate, what time of year are you talking about? Generally, when we talk about stocking rate, we're talking about winter stock, stock years. Because at the 5th of June, 10 stock gets the hectare, 5th of July, 7 stock gets the hectare, and you sold 500 trade lambs as part of your buffer. Yep, so look. Take your system to keep that repeatable system going. Okay, so just by way of trying to sum this up, and this has been really cool, and I'll I give these guys closing arguments like I said they were going to. I put together a, a model farm, if you like, 345 hectares, there's 10 hectares of winter crop in there. There's average performance at 133% lambing, high performance at 152 and that high performance system, or sorry, high per head performance, 83% lambing uh, from the Hoggins. 3,000 lambs versus 4,000 lambs being produced by the system. I've kept it really simple just looking at sheep. I've then run the numbers through a feed budget, and basically what we can do is determine how much feed is being consumed per hectare on these farms from these two different systems. Starting off with the, um, the higher stocking rate um, and, and, and moderate performance, if you like, 2,000 ewes, 600 tutus, 700 hoggets, about um, 3,100 stock units or nine standard stock units to the hectare. If we look at um, the feed required by this, higher, this system of higher level of per head performance, 
We actually have to drop our U numbers by 240, our to-dos by 70, and our hoggets by 80. We end up on a standard stock unit basis with 2,750 stock units, or eight stock units per hectare. Now one of the things that you would all say is, what's a stock unit? And people say, well if I'm doing 150%, then surely I've got one U as one and a half stock units. Load of crap. Um, feed in, feed out. On this basis here, um, going from 133, not mating your hoggets, up to that level of performance in a high performance animal, you're only having to decrease your carrying capacity by 12%. Okay? The change is not as much as you may think it is, or needs to be. But generally you, but, won't, you won't have changed it too much because you would have shifted it to a higher cattle ratio, won't you? Look, all those dynamics come into it, and, and I think that's part of the, uh, the answer, is that you can't change one thing in isolation to other things. Yeah. It's a whole system change. One of the, the, the big differences though, if you say that these two systems have got lambing dates that stay exactly the same, then that high performance um, system has this feed profile here, and our low performance, with moderate performance, has that feed profile there. So this is October, November. In that high performance system, the feed demand is massively greater than it is on your, low perform uh, your moderate performance. So, you have to adjust your system to cater for that. Perfectly said for Marlborough. Well done, Brett. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> that. That actually applies for any system, any, any area of the country. Okay? But it comes back to what you're trying to achieve with your stock um, and uh, the level of performance that you're getting. And, I mean, that's the, this is what it's really showing here is on a uh, high-performance flock needs substantially more high-quality feed in spring, but much less in the autumn and summer. Thank you again. That just sums up what we've yeah, been talking the, about, doesn't it? Where's the dollars differences? Hey, that's what you need. 10% less based on yeah. the numbers. Yeah. 10%. But the time of year when you generally have the surplus. So <laughs> well, in the I summer and autumn in Marlborough. But, but hang on, Fraser. What that's saying is you need that extra feed in the summer, uh, in the spring, but you don't need it in the, in the autumn. Under this basis here, starting off in, on 1st of July with a 1600 cover, that system that uh, you're talking about, the, the higher per head performance, is operating or dropping to a cover of around 900. Is that going to be high enough to sustain that high level of performance? The answer is simply not. That's an animal welfare issue as well, that is. Hang on, hang on, hang on, though. Yeah, no, you can't. If you're... Manipulating certain stock classes, because there's a lot of stock classes, like Joe's example, you shut down those cows, dry any month heifers, whatever they are, and you kick the demand up to the animals that need it. Look, absolutely, and I said that this is a simplistic model, and there are a whole lot of dynamics that go on this. You can't change one thing without affecting another. Yeah. So, under that moderate performance, yes, you only drop down to this this um, you know cover of uh, maybe 1,200, which sounds it's pretty good for spring covers, right? It's pretty it's pretty good. But you then run the risk of not being able to utilise that summer feed because your animals are all too small. What I want to point out though is this year, like if you got to November, December, that ain't going up, that's going across and it's going down. Yeah. And, and <laughs> but, or but even in that extra, if you put that, that where that brood line is, this is 
the average performance one, that 400 kilos is probably worth $2,000 50 cents a kilo. That time of year, you can't harvest it off in the country, can you? So no, we can carry it over a wee bit. <laughs> Maybe. But look, the point of that exercise is to show that there is, you know, there are different implications from different systems. Okay? Um, and, you know, we've had some really good arguments between these two teams here and some good questions. And I'm, it's probably, I'm, I'm just conscious that I think our barbecue is busy cooking, so we want to keep moving. Um, so I'm going to give um, the groups the opportunity to, uh, to, to provide a, a closing statement. Um, now, do I need to draw straws? Who's going to go first? Ian can go explain. He started, so you can go first. Colin, you've got a heap to prepare, off you go. Come on, Ian, let's hear it. I think you've heard enough of our argument, and uh, the other opposition team have done more to to help our cause than they have themselves, so um, we'll help you out of that hole that you've dug uh, later on. But in the meantime, we'll accept... um, the winner's medal, thank you very much. <laughs> um, I think fellow intelligent, smart agribusiness people, you all appreciate that there's far more to farming than per head, chasing per head um, glory, that um, having a broader look at your system, there's lots of opportunities you can pick up by tweaking condition scores and putting feed in at strategic times using fertiliser subdivision, all of those levers that we have at our disposal. So that's what makes farming fun and challenging and that's certainly what I love about it. And um, if you get exceptional per head production along the way, that's a bonus. Okay, thanks again. Fraser and Anne. Cool. Um, look, I uh, wrote one word, I heard factory farming, someone mentioned before, and I thought, yeah, I'll take that one. Uh, <laughs> So I got the last word, and so we'll finish with that, eh? Um, no, look, thanks um, to all the fellow panellists. Um, yeah, yeah, it's always good to have you in Marlborough. Um, and, um, yeah, enjoy uh, enjoy seeing you up here. Thanks for coming up and uh, certainly adding value to the day. Sorry for the things I said to the two of you earlier. Yeah. <laughs> I was pretty confident you could take them. Dave's still smiling down the back. I think he was quite pleased with that. Oh, he's <laughs> <laughs> no, not happy. So, so I'll have to shoot out that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, but uh, as I said earlier, you know, it's, uh, it's something I think we all debate with ourselves, like on a daily basis often in our farming systems. Um, and it's good to have discussion with your mates and your staff you know, about those sorts of things and that. Um, um, and the final closing thing is just you know be proud of who you are and uh, and tell your story. You know we talked today. Um, Joe tried to, to steal it all. Uh, but, you know I think it, it's. Uh, you could have done it too, Fraser. Just. It goes uh, well. I didn't do any prep, Joe. So that's <laughs> it showed up, didn't it? Um, but um, you know it's that um, pushing the you know the uh, per head performance. Um, you know we've we've all got a fantastic story but we've got to get a whole lot better at telling it. So, you know, be proud of, of what you do, because uh, there's a whole lot of people out there that think we're all really special, but sometimes we get bogged down listening to the media and we hear snippets, you know. There are snippets of people in society. Um, it's not the mainstream, but we do need to get better at getting out and promoting the good work we do. So, 
that's what I want to say. Thanks to all of you, and uh, and we'll call it a draw. <laughs> well, actually, just just on that, thanks, Fraser. Um, look, I am going to call this a draw because I think there are two distinctly good points of argument there, um, and I think that the key message is it's all about challenging what you're doing and what uh, what's happening on farm uh, for you and how you get uh, more effective, more efficient at um, improving productivity uh, and profitability.